This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Who's that sad little person? Are we doing a before and after piece I don't know about? It's The Devil Wears Prada, and this film is lit. Hello, and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have a jam-packed episode with uh, no Lost in Adaptation, but every other one of our segments and quite a few questions, so we're just going to get right into it. If you have not watched or read The Devil Wears Prada, let us give you a brief summary in Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. The Devil Wears Prada, a novel by Lauren Weisberger. Andrea Sachs moves to New York City, hoping to find a career in publishing. She believes she will be closer to her dream of working for The New Yorker if she can get a job in the magazine industry. She gets a surprise interview at the Elias Clark Group and is hired as a junior assistant for Miranda Priestley, editor-in-chief of the fashion magazine Runway. Although she knows little of the fashion world, everyone tells her that a million girls would die for that job, and if she manages to work for Miranda for a year, she can have her choice of jobs within the magazine industry. Andrea's relationships are put under pressure because of her new job. Her boyfriend Alex grows frustrated with Andrea's long hours and constant stress. Matters finally come to her head when her co-worker, Emily, gets mononucleosis and she must travel to Paris with Miranda in her stead. In Paris, Miranda asks Andrea what she has learned and where she wants to work afterwards. She promises to place phone calls to people she knows at The New Yorker on, her, on Andrea's behalf once her year is up and suggests she take on some small writing assignments at Runway. Andrea then gets urgent calls from Alex and her parents asking her to call them. She does and learns that her best friend Lily is comatose after a car accident. Although her family and Alex pressure her to return home, she tells Miranda she will honor her commitment to Runway. Miranda is pleased and says her future in the magazine publishing is bright, but then phones with another impossible demand. Andrea decides that her family and friends are more important than her job and realizes to her horror that she is becoming more and more like Miranda. She refuses to comply with Miranda's latest outrageous request and returns home to reconnect with friends and family, leaving her job at runway behind. In the film The Devil Wears Prada, Andrea Sachs is an aspiring writer living with her boyfriend in New York City. Her dream is to write for a publication like The New Yorker, but ends up landing a very sought-after job as an assistant to Miranda Priestley, the editor-in-chief of Runway, the high-fashion magazine. Miranda is notoriously hard to work with as she is incredibly demanding and mean. Andy struggles to fit in as she is not interested in fashion, nor is she ready for the high-stakes drama of working in such a fast-paced environment. 
She is tutored begrudgingly by Miranda's senior assistant, Emily, and the magazine's art director, Nigel. Their efforts help Andy slowly grow into her position into her position and learn to appreciate the world of fashion, which in turn causes friction between her and her boyfriend, Nate, and their group of friends who are worried about Andy's transformation. Miranda gives Andy more and more responsibility as she realizes she's very capable. Ultimately, Miranda calls on Andy to replace Emily as her assistant for Paris Fashion Week, a role that Emily has been obsessed with as she truly lives for fashion. Andy calls Emily to tell her that she won't be going to Paris, but Emily is hit by a car and ends up in the hospital where she berates Andy for usurping her position. Later that night, Andy and Nate break up, both for good and bad reasons, which we'll touch on later. Andy goes to Paris, learns that Miranda's current husband is divorcing her, sleeps with a cynical writer from The New Yorker, finds out that Nigel is leaving Runway to co-run a fashion company, and then subsequently finds out that Miranda is being replaced at Runway by a younger, cheaper editor. Andy tells Miranda of the plans to oust her, but Miranda already knew and publicly sacrifices Nigel's career aspirations by announcing that her replacement will be taking the role that Nigel was promised at the new fashion company. This saves Miranda's position at Runway, but keeps Nigel trapped in a job where he has no freedom, a fate that he resigns himself to for the time being. Andy realizes that she isn't built for this cutthroat world, quits her job as Miranda's assistant, and reconciles with Nate, although the two remain separated. Andy gets a new job at a newspaper, partially thanks to Miranda's reference, and is finally set on her desired career path, having learned a lot from her whirlwind stint in the world of fashion. All right, we do have Guess Who... Uh, four questions, so we're going to get into the game show segment. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. All right. I think you can do this. I believe in you. I don't. I read these. <laughs> I can get the first two. The okay. last two, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, up first, a calf-length leather skirt hung from her hips and her unruly red hair was piled in one of those messy but still glamorous buns on top of her head. Her skin was flawless and pale, not so much as a single freckle or blemish, and it stretched perfectly over the highest cheekbones I'd ever seen. This is Emily. That is Emily. Yeah, that yeah. one's very obvious. It's exactly what she looks like yeah. in the movie. So. Yeah, especially the red hair. Yeah, I mean, the red hair definitely helps, but it, yeah. Because she does have red hair, but I, I still think I would have gotten it. Yeah. All right. Up next. I was shocked to see how skinny she was. The hand she held out was small boned, feminine, soft. She had to turn her head upward to look me in the eye. Her expertly dyed blonde hair was pulled back in a chic knot, deliberately loose enough to look casual, but still supremely neat. And while she did not smile, she did not appear particularly intimidating. Uh, this would be Miranda Priestly. Yes, that yeah. is Miranda Priestly. Yeah. Definitely a different look than yeah. the, she is in the film, but uh, it's, it's still pretty obvious. Yeah, that that's, that's for sure. Um, and a little bit closer to Anna Wintour, I think. Yeah, I go d definitely her being shorter. Yes. Because Meryl yeah. Streep is as tall i don't know how tall meryl streep is but she's at least as tall as uh anna, anna hathaway or yeah. at least they appear to be in this movie whereas this has her looking up at anna hathaway definitely leaning more towards the mm -hmm. yeah all right next one i turned just in time to see the man who was at least seven feet tall with tanned skin and black hair pointing directly at me he had 250 pounds stretched over his incredibly tall frame and was so muscular, so positively ripped, 
that it looked as though he might just explode out of his denim cat suit. Yeah, see, this, there's nobody in the movie that fits this. <laughs> I have literally no idea. I have no idea. And I've read the next one, and I don't, so I, and I still don't know. I, I, uh, okay. Who, I mean, it's literally nobody fits this description in the movie, even remotely. And there's not even like a, a thing that you know what i mean there's usually there's like one little thing mm-hmm. that i'm like oh that i can see mm-hmm. i i don't even know who this could be okay are you ready for this yeah this is stanley tucci's character great okay <laughs> i will say the only part of that that i almost thought maybe this was him is the denim cat suit mm-hmm. but even that doesn't fit that's yeah, not that what his character with, dresses which, like and in the, I'll, I'll talk about it later his character is actually kind of in, in the movie is kind of an amalgamation oh, so you lied of to multiple characters this but this yeah. is this <laughs> is the character who is named nigel okay in the book yeah yeah definitely not what he looks like in the <laughs> no movie. not at all okay last one He looked great as usual. His faded jeans hung low on his non-existent hips, and his long-sleeved navy t-shirt was just the right amount of tight. The tiny wire rims he only wore when he couldn't tolerate his contacts were perched in front of his very red eyes, and his hair was all over the place. So, this one's tough. Nobody immediately jumps out to me, but... uh... The the it's I think it could only really be two characters, and that would be either her boyfriend Nate or um Christian, which is the author uh, yeah, from the New Yorker that she has a fling with. It's one of those two. I I'm gonna say that this is probably Christian the author, and that she is not talking about Nate. So this is her boyfriend. Okay. Uh, his name is Alex in the book, but it, it's the Nate character. Yeah. I. <laughs> I almost went that way. The clothes definitely feel more like him Mm -hmm. and the um, his hair being all over the place definitely fits his character more than Christian, who is very like he's very styled hair. hair. Uh, But something about the. I don't know, something about the he looked great as usual and like the way she was describing him kind of felt like. Like, uh, like she, because she has a crush on this guy. Yeah, who she keeps seeing. Yeah, and something about the way it was worded w- was like the way she would write about like this this guy who she keeps mm-hmm. meeting. Who's, but the rest of it kind of fit the boyfriend more. So I was torn on that one, but I yeah, I could have seen it being either of them. So yeah, that was about what I expected. The mm-hmm. first two were super easy, and the <laughs> second two were almost impossible. So <laughs> the third one literally does I. I could have just said Nigel, but it wouldn't have been based on anything. I just had to include that description. Yeah. All right. I have a ton of questions, so let's get into them in. Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So my first question is pretty, pretty basic, pretty simple. Is there the setup for the story the same? I imagine it is, but I don't know. Is it a journalist or somebody who has aspirations of being a journalist or a writer who gets a job at a fashion magazine that she doesn't remotely fit into as like an assistant? Yeah, the premise is the same. Uh, I think the only tiny detail is that in the book, she wants more to be like an essayist than a journalist yeah. but that's kind of a small detail. Other than that, it's exactly the same premise. And in the movie, I think it's not it's left vague enough that she could because she talks about wanting to work at the New Yorker. Right. Yeah, so, she does. So but she ends up at the end getting a job at a newspaper. So like, it, it, you know, like I could see it being either way. I 
they do say journalism, like she went to school for journalism, mm-hmm. but I got the vibe that she was leaning more towards like the, yeah, like the essayist yeah. like New Yorker style. Uh, I have to imagine that would be a lot harder to break into. Yeah, you would think, because <laughs> it's not like every small town has, Yeah, you can't, it's harder to make a name for yourself, I feel like, doing that. I, I feel like you really have to have an end to the industry yeah. to get to write somewhere like the New Yorker. Yeah, or it's got to be the kind of thing you do. Because I, I imagine it would be hard to do as a career initially. It yes. feels like the kind of thing where it would be easier to get a job as like a journalist or whatever um, and use that for like work. I feel like if you wanted to get into something like New Yorker, you would have to do like have like a blog or like do like a yeah. side thing. Right. You would. Yeah. You would have to make a name for yeah. yourself. You know first. what I mean? Like kind of set up a establish like a. A, you know a, a backlog of work that you can point people to, which she has in the movie. She mentions. I mean, she sends stuff to yeah. christian or whatever but yeah um it's, it, i don't think there's too much distinction there i think it's similar in the movie they just they do say journalists so so she gets into the office and the first time she walks in she's meeting miranda Priestley, uh and she walks in and miranda Priestley uh, looks her up and up and down takes her in and says uh, something about she's like questioning why she's working there and she's like and clearly you have no sense of or no style or sense of fashion and uh, Anne Hathaway is like, well, I think that depends on and uh, Miranda cuts her off and says, no, 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 that wasn't a question. <laughs> and I wanted to know it's a very it was in the trailer, I believe. Uh, I wanted to know if that line came from the book. It is not from the book, but I do think it's a pretty good encapsulation of Miranda's character, uh, particularly as she's portrayed in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so then she moves on in her first day uh, struggle on the struggle bus working and she gets a call from somebody that she needs to take a message. And the person clearly says something about Dolce Gabbana. And she does it. She says, can you uh, uh, Andy? It's tough because her name it's Anne. Yeah. And the character's name is Andy. And then it's even more confusing because Emily Blunt plays Emily. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but she says, uh, can you please spell Gabbana? And then the person just hangs up on her. <laughs> and I wanted to know if that scene came from the movie because it made me chuckle. Uh, this does not come from the book, but it is maybe my favorite favorite singular moment in the it's movie. Good. It's a good moment. All right. We talked about this scene in the prequel, uh, but we're going to get into it here because there's a lot to talk about. The cerulean sweater scene, although it's a belt. I, oh, well, she's, well, she's wearing, wearing a sweater. The sweater. Right, sorry. The, but they're looking at a belt. Yeah. Um, and but it's referred to on IMDb as the cerulean sweater scene. Apparently, this was something that was cut at one point, and then uh, Meryl Streep was like adamant that they add it back in. Ultimately, I want to know if it came from the book. Um, is that she basically Andy like kind of chuckles because they're trying to pick a belt that are both very similar, uh, and they're like, "Oh, they're so different." And Andy's like, "Well, they look the same to me." Uh, and then she's like very being very derisive and then Meryl Streep like dresses her down and is like, don't you understand fashion? You idiot. Um, how dare you chuckle? And uh, <laughs> uh, it's an interesting scene. I, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's a good scene. Like I enjoy it. Um, but I, I want to know if that scene came from the book and then I want to talk about it more. So this is maybe the most well-remembered part of the movie. I think. Yeah. Um, and I almost can't believe that not one single bit of it is really? from the book. Not even like a not vague even, analog, no, like an analogous no. scene. There's one point close to the beginning of the book where Andy wears a blue sweater. And I was like, in my notes, I was like, aha, she's wearing blue. <laughs> yeah. Here it comes. Nothing. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, well, and, and, and like, I understand and agree 
like with the idea and we talked about this a little bit in the prequel of like trickle down fashion and how you know like because people it's a thing i see all the time on the internet of people like making fun of like runway fashion or high fashion Mm -hmm. like ridiculous outfits and stuff that obviously nobody wears in real life um and like kind of being like what is the uh, like kind of dumping on it and then people will always reply and be like well actually you know other designers take inspiration from that and then use that to make more right high fashion is more of like art right and this isn't even high fashion necessarily. Or like, this is like, this is practical fashion. Like it's the magazine, tour, but it's practical. It's practical fashion. fashion. It's not the crazy stuff that you like. It's not like a Balenciaga. Yeah, it's like, it's editorial, is what it is. Yes, I'll take your. I don't know any of the terms, so sure. <laughs> um, but anyways, so but but people will see like fashion, and then and then you know, they, it's basically explaining the idea. And I understand the idea that yes it you know it, fashion trickles down from the higher fashion and, and that ultimately ends up on the store shelves of what you're buying and i also agree that and i get that like a- andrea in this scene is being like snobby and naive or whatever i understand all of that but i also think that the movie feel like the movie maybe overemphasizes the idea because the, the quote that the idea that like nobody can be disconnected from fashion which is kind of like meryl streep's whole point uh and specifically the quote that kind of like rung not hollow but uh, that i like took a little bit of umbrage with is that meryl streep says it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when, in fact, you're wearing the sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room. And I get what she's saying, but also Andy didn't know any of that. She just grabbed a sweater, assuming she's being honest and she doesn't care. Like, right. really? She did just grab a sweater. And there's 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 I on the surface. I completely agree with what Meryl Streep is saying in this. Fashion, everything you wear, even like the most whatever T-shirt like I get is is all, you know, it, mm-hmm. it trickles down. It comes from other ideas and stuff like that. And you are participating to some extent. But there's this like underneath that surface level, there's this like implication, I feel like, by Meryl Streep that I don't even know what it is that that Andy is participating more directly in a way that she doesn't realize that I don't know if I agree is true. Because she's not, she's not. I mean. (laughs) Like, I get the clothes she's wearing come from this world, you know, derivatively down the road. But she's not an active participant. She just grabbed that sweater and put it on. Okay. I don't know. So, I, I think there's some truth to the ideas in this scene. Like, what you can buy at a store is at least some level determined by what's on trend. Yes, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Like, for example, flared jeans. Really in right now. Yeah. But a couple years ago, you would not have been able to find flared jeans anywhere but a thrift store. They weren't trendy, so they weren't being sold. Right? Yeah. You're not going to be able to go to Target and find a pair. And I I think it's at least thinly true that none of us are totally exempt from participating in the fashion industry. Even if you don't realize it. Yes, I agree with that. However, I mean, I I do think it's an oversimplification. um, This idea of like this trickle down effect. And maybe it was more true in 2006, but at least some elements of on-trend fashion have always come from street style. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's even more true now that social media is what it is. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't say I'm into fashion, 
I'm into like style yeah, and like you, the you idea. Have a style and of, stuff yes, you I have like. a style. I have stuff that I like, yeah. and I like engaging with other people who have similar styles that I do. Right, and those pieces, a lot of those do come from still the same yes. pipeline of like, yeah, yes. I, I understand. All um, but I also think it's fair within the context of this story to say that Miranda probably thinks she's much more important yes. in this whole thing than, yeah. than maybe she actually is. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think there's just this other element to it. And I don't even know how to express it of like, I don't know. I'm having a hard, uh, it's a hard thing for me to even put words to. I think it's just that... <sighs> I don't know if it's it's incorrect that there are people who look at those two like like I guess Miranda's point where she's like, oh, you know, you're the sweater you wore is because we chose it or whatever. And and again, I get we're establishing her character and her, her right. inflated sense of ego and all this sorts of stuff. But again, I do think the movie is largely sympathetic to her point of view here. At least it feels like it to me. Like, I, yeah. I despite the fact that it is like, again, uh, we are kind of setting up her inflated ego. I don't think the movie disagrees with her in this scene. No, the movie was very clearly made by industry people. Yeah, I think or at least to some extent. Yeah. yeah, we talked about the writer who I don't think is, but she has friends that were and stuff like yeah. that. But um, I, I guess the thing that I, I don't even know how to say it. It's just there's something about it that it's like, sh sure, yeah, you chose. You know, I get that those belts are different, and like, it, I I even thought that scene was a little silly because the belts are obviously different. They're the same color blue, but they're uh, completely yeah. different belts. Like it's not even they have very different buckles. Yeah, it's yeah. like. <laughs> Like and they're not even I don't think the exact same shade of so it was a weird thing to say that with anyways but whatever which is a kind of an issue a running issue I have with this movie where they make points where it's not true I don't know it's a little thing we'll get into it. but um the I, I just mm, I don't know how to say it, <laughs> it yes you, I guess what I think is that there's plenty of people. I don't think it's I think in that environment, it's obnoxious. Maybe this is what I'm trying to say. I think in that environment, what Andy says is kind of like naive and like out of touch. But that's also not if she were in any other environment, I think being like, actually, I don't really care about fashion and I can't really tell the difference between these two different things isn't like a naive thing to think necessarily. No. And I think. The 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 like the the broader problem I have with that scene is it it feels like it, it it's making a prescriptive statement on society about like actually you don't even realize that the clothes you wear were designed by people and I'm like no I I realize that but I also don't care like a lot of people don't care and I don't say I don't I care to some extent I'm just saying like there are people who don't care and I think the movie tries to pretend that you should care or tries to be prescriptive in that you should care. And I'm not sure that that's a pre prescriptive statement that I agree with <laughs> that, that people necessarily should care about minute differences in fashion like that. Uh, necessarily. I agree in this instance, it's like, you shouldn't like make a weird like laugh at it and stuff because that's what this yeah. is you're in a well, world yeah where... she's she is being kind of like flippant yes like and i understand that, that but at the same time i guess my problem is it's like but i don't i, I it feels like the movie is, is broadening that statement beyond this room that they're in and this environment that they're in and i'm not sure i agree with that like the idea that you 
like I, I don't know I I don't know how to I don't know how to express what I'm uh, my my the tension I feel in this scene and I'm having I'm I had it earlier while you were talking and I lost it and now I'm trying to scramble and find it again and failing so we're just gonna move on <laughs> but um I don't know there's something in that scene that like again I mostly agree. I think like like in general, I kind of agree. And I agree with what she's saying that that is objectively true about mm -hmm. the way fashion works. I think that's objectively true. I think that's the thing. The it's it, the descriptive statement. This is how fashion works. I agree with totally fine. The pro proscriptive prescript, whatever it is, statement. Thus, you actually do care about fashion, you pleb. I don't think I agree with. I think that's the like where I, I, I separate from the scene is is like the prescriptive like so you actually do care about fashion whether you know it or not and it's like but do I does she yeah I, I don't know I don't I don't know anyways anyways sorry let's move on <laughs> I knew that one was gonna be tough because I I knew coming into this that I didn't I I still not kind of crystallized my thoughts on that scene and I have a hard time anyways moving on uh, so uh, then we move forward uh, and Miranda is down in Florida for something and she needs to get back to New York for her uh, children's recital in the morning. But there is a hurricane in Florida. So she calls Andy and is like, I need you to get me a flight. My flight got canceled. I need you to find me a flight to New York tonight so that I can get back for the recital. And I wanted to know if that scene was from the movie because I hate that scene. <laughs> It's, it's not in the book um i don't hate that scene it's very funny but yeah uh there's a brief scene where andy and emily are trying to like charter a private jet for her but they can't find one um but i think it was because it was too late at night and not because of a hurricane yeah um however the scene is very on track for miranda's character in the yeah. book yeah I actually like the scene. Let me clarify that. I like the scene. I think it's very funny. I think it's mm -hmm. edited great. I love the way it's revealed. And honestly, in IMDb, the way it's written is hilarious. It's, yeah. There's a, I, I, I cracked up reading the IMDb quote of that scene because it was literally, um, it has like stage direction, not stage direction, um, but like descriptions of what's happening and the way it is written is so funny. I don't know who did this or if this is like directly from the script or something like that. But the uh, if, if somebody on INDB just added this on their own, they're a comic genius. And it, if it didn't come from the book and it's written like character name and then what they say, mm -hmm. Andy Sachs on phone. Hello, Miranda. Miranda Priestley on the phone from Miami. My flight has been canceled. It's some absurd weather problem parenthetical a hurricane <laughs> Miranda Priestley I need to get home tonight and then it goes on but just the a hurricane like in the when she said it's some weather thing and then it's like a, a line a, a line break and then it just says a hurricane and then another line break and I, I don't know I thought that was very funny but anyways um I I don't like the fallout of the scene which we'll get to in a second mm -hmm which kind of stems into this next question I had. And I wanted to know uh, the next day she gets reamed out by, by Miranda for not getting the flight for her. Uh, she tries and calls a bunch of airlines, but can't get anything to go. Uh, and then Miranda the next day is very mad at her and yelling at her and stuff. And she kind of is very, uh, Andy gets very upset and goes to talk to Nigel Stanley Tucci's character. And he gives her this speech. And I want to know if any of this speech came from the book. Cause I want to talk about it. Uh, no, none of that scene is from the book. Okay. So 
I, it's another, so many scenes in this movie are like a mixed bag for me. And this is another one where I, I think this probably hit better in 2006. Oh, definitely. Um, there's this line where at one point where he's like, she's like, well, I'm trying my best or whatever. And he says, you're not trying, you're whining. Um, and I think one of, you know, a major thing, the cultural consciousness on work and work environments and work life balance and all this stuff has changed a lot mm-hmm. since 2006. Um, and I, as it goes, I'm actually way more sympathetic to the idea of like you have to sacrifice for your art, your passion, whatever, than I think a lot of people uh, on the left are. Like I actually I don't know if I like I'm not fully bought in, but I'm more sympathetic to that idea mm-hmm. than I think some people, you know, with with similar political persuasions as me might be. Um that being said, I think this scene, I don't know how well it works. Uh, in particular, I like the speech. I like I like Stanley Teacher's performance. I like all of that. Um, I think part of it that fails for me is goes back to the previous scene, which is that the thing she failed at and that she got reamed out about and is upset about is a thing she literally could not have succeeded at. Yeah. Like literally impossible for her to have succeeded at. And I know that's kind of the point, but it also it makes the scene less interesting well, there's, to me. yeah there's a little bit of a disconnect and I, I agree i think the movie stumbles here um because you're right the thing that she's failed at in this instance was not achievable in the first place yeah, nobody's like, flying through a hurricane yeah she didn't <laughs> fail because she wasn't trying hard yeah. enough um and i think the movie wants this scene to be commentary on like overall like her overall yes. performance up to this yeah. point but because these two instances are butted directly together it ends up feeling like well okay but like no amount of trying could have resolved this yeah and i also and it also because it also falls back to that thing where it's like well you just don't want it enough you're not trying hard enough here and you know there there can't and again i'm more sympathetic to that idea than a lot of people are but also we have progressed. We have realized as a society that murdering yourself for your work is not a good thing. Like yeah. it's not the optimal state of being. Um, and 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 it's made even muddier in this movie is that like this isn't her dream job. So it's like right. it, it makes it even more muddy. But uh, like his speech, there is truth to it. Again, it's very similar to the last scene with the sweater thing. Where it's like there's truth to what he's saying. Um, you know, because he, he is he's not wrong about again uh, about saying and maybe it is the descriptive reverse, reverse proscriptive thing again. He's not wrong saying there's a million girls who would take this job and would murder people for this job. Yeah. And, you know, you're just in this job. And you don't care. Uh, so either care or quit. And I think he's right that she should quit. Like, I think that's actually the <laughs> correct action. It's like she should just quit this job. But um when he tells her, like, just quit, it was like, yeah, actually, that's correct. You should just quit. You don't want to do this. Don't do it. Um, and if you're not going to, you know, if you don't want to kill yourself for it, then don't. Um, but I, and and it does be the thing that ends up motivating her. But it's just such a weird tension again, because I think part of it, again, is the problem of like, this isn't her dream. So it makes it hard for me to, like, be as sympathetic to this speech when I know it's not what she really wants necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? (sighs) Yeah, she's she's trying. She sees it as a huge stepping stone to get where she wants to be, which I think is the thing. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, But yeah, I I think my main problem with it is that they butted it up to the hurricane 
issue. If it had been something else, I think this that his scene would have worked a little better. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I agree with that. It definitely would if it had been something where she, yeah, she was was just kind of like blowing it off or was like yeah. not taking it seriously or whatever. Um, it would definitely work better. I, I still just think I, I, I don't know. It's it's that idea of like this. It would also work better for me if her character was a different character. If he gave this speech to Emily, like mm-hmm. I, I still don't know what I, I. I don't think I'd agree like ethically with the whole thing, but I would at least uh, like kind of get it and agree why she wouldn't quit. Like I, I don't know. It's I don't know. I actually I want to preface all this. I actually enjoyed this movie. I didn't dislike <laughs> this movie. I thought it was pretty good. And I, I kind of like where it goes. And I think one of the things I did like about it is it is messy, especially I don't I don't even know how much intentional that is. But I think it aged well in the sense that uh, the messaging becomes so muddied because we have developed the way you know we have um sort of reevaluated the way we look at work and and mm-hmm. and your commitment to work and and sacrificing for work and all that sort of stuff um because we the, the society has kind of shifted on how we'd view that or at least to some extent now i, I say society my left-wing bubble of people we have uh, you know the people the social circles i run in we have reevaluated the way we look at work and stuff like that um and I mean, I think that's true of the general like cultural zeitgeist, too, is that you're more likely to come across these uh, this idea of like work life balance than like, oh, it's good to be a workaholic. Right. It is definitely shifted overall. I think it's it's not. Yeah, there there are sections of it where it hasn't at all. But in general, it shifted a little bit. And then on the left, it shifted even further, I think. Yeah. Than general society. But anyways, um, the thing that I think is. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I yeah, I, I think it's the other thing. I, I was clashing against this idea of, like, it's a good story versus, like, I find this whole thing ethically, like, really kind of gross. Mm-hmm. And I think that tension also was, like, there, where it's, like, this is a really compelling, interesting story, and I, I enjoy it as, like, a, like a, a look into this world, but I find it repulsive, and I don't know if the movie does. But I also don't find it repulsive because, again, I get it. I don't. Mm, it's very complicated. Again, I don't. <laughs> and that's the thing that's really in, interesting to me is that I don't think the movie knows if it's that complicated. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, like I, and that's why I actually liked the movie a lot. Is that to me, it felt like the movie knew it was complicated, but I'm not sure. Like I think it does. I, I mean, think, that's where we I, end up. Yes, so. I think the movie knows that it's complicated, and. You know, I'm able to compare it to the book, and I will say that I think the movie is overall far more sympathetic to the industry than the book is. Oh, yeah, interesting. And I I think that is because the movie was made by industry people. Not necessarily fashion industry people, but still industry people, you know? Whereas the book was written by somebody who did the job that Andy was doing and hated it. Right understandably yeah i don't know okay i mean well it's gonna keep coming back to this so i don't want to hit on yeah. it too much um i do want to say uh while we're kind of still on this that i i like stanley tucci's character a lot mm-hmm. in the Me movie too, yeah. uh he and like i mentioned earlier he's actually an amalgamation kind of of three different characters from the book um so there is a character named nigel that I mentioned earlier, who I believe was a fashion editor. We don't interact with him much in the book, which is fine because every time we interact with him, he talks in all caps and I hate it. Uh, I hated it. Um, and then there's a Jeffy who runs the couture closet 
at yeah, runway. Yeah, which we see. Yeah, Nigel which we do. see Nigel do. Um, and then there's James, who is uh, I think a beauty editor, who is Andy's friend at work, um, yeah. and he's like a stereotypical like early aughts caddy gay guy. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was a good call to kind of coalesce that and have it become a character that's basically like an older mentor figure to yeah. her. Yeah, I agree. No, I like his character a lot. And I, and again, I, I think he's a very, I think all the characters are really like grounded and interesting and realistic. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think the movie, again, I, it, it's a conflict with, I really like the story of the movie versus not sure if I agree with, well, ultimately I do because I do the, where the movie ends up. Mm-hmm. But some of the early, like, seeming messaging of the film uh, is something that kind of, like, I deeply disagree with while also it's complicated because I also have mixed feelings on on this whole th- of the the whole work. That, like, I again, I said it earlier, but I have, I have very mixed feelings on that. I, I, I am more sympathetic to the, like, bust your ass for your art kind of thing than some people are. Um, but I don't know. It's. I do. I, I really like the characters and I like the story and I think it's really interesting. I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I had a hard time. Having a, a hard time parsing the ethical questions raised. Yeah. Yeah. I think film. that's the thing. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, because yeah. And I think part of it, like I said, is that I'm not even necessarily like fully one side or the other on it. And yeah. I think that makes it even tougher for me to like, yeah, kind of parse how I feel about it is that I can see I like I said at every scene so far I was like I agree a little bit with you know mm-hmm. uh, Stanley Tucci's character in this scene um, to some extent, but also I think that the idea that you I, I guess the thing that it boils down to is the idea that you in order to produce anything of value you have to like literally like destroy yourself is what I don't agree with, mm-hmm. and I think the movie kind of says that still at the end a little yeah. bit not not entirely obviously but at least to some extent I think it still says in order to really achieve great things, you have to like ruin your life basically um, to achieve truly great things. Mm. You can do fine stuff without ruining your life, but if you want to like achieve anything great, you have to ruin your life. And maybe that's true. I don't know. And that's the thing where I, I think that's the tension is I hit against that and I go, well, maybe it's not, maybe that is true. I don't know. I've never achieved anything truly great. I've only done okay stuff. So I don't, <laughs> maybe that is true. I I don't know, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. This movie just gave me an existential crisis. Maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> that was not the movie you were expecting to get an existential crisis from, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, we kind of get to see some of the tension between her friends and herself uh, because her new job is like taking up all of her time. She meets up with her friends later that night. Uh, they're like hanging out at a bar or whatever, and she brings them all these gifts and stuff. Um, but then her phones start ringing because Miranda's calling her and they swipe her phone and they're like teasing her and like tossing it around. And she's like, I need my phone. Um, and I wanted to know if any of that scene came from the book because I want to talk about that scene. The scene is not from the book. Um, I have always hated this scene. Yeah. Um, I, her friends are also like young and trying to make it in the professional world. I I don't know. I just feel like they should have had a maybe a slightly better grasp on what she was dealing with and been a little more sympathetic than they are. I agree, but also I don't. And that you know what? I'm realizing this totally I totally get that this was written by the person who wrote Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because that's another thing in that show <clears throat> that 
it happens all the time is you always I I can always see every character's perspective like nobody is like wrong and nobody mm-hmm. is right it's always usually for the yeah. most part well yeah and I do think that is something that kind of makes this film hard to parse is that it's kind of like an everyone sucks here kind of yeah kind of because like you know when she's dealing like this issue that she's having with her friends or like the tension with her boyfriend i'm kind of like you're you you all suck right now yes yes i think the way they handle that moment in that scene is they're being jerks like they are being jerks in that scene but they're also not wrong like in general she what i would i would be like if one of my best friends all of a sudden was working for this nightmare person and she Mm -hmm. was stressed out all the time and working 20 hour days i'd be like you should quit that job that sucks what are you doing like and i would be you know what i mean and so i feel like that's what they're where they're coming from and yes in this scene obviously they're being like really immature about it and like like teasing her in a way that i would find very obnoxious were i in her position so i understand why she's frustrated but i also understand why they're frustrated in a way that is like yeah again you know it's good writing it is it is a well-crafted in the sense you can kind of see everybody's perspective um which I, i do think makes it harder to kind of like get a very clean like oh this is what the movie's saying mm-hmm. thing which is yeah. which is good it's not it's not that's, that's a yeah, good thing it's, yeah it's very interesting yeah but yeah overall i think yeah i don't know and, and i think part of that is made even more is it's made it a little more difficult because i'm not i'm so often questioning whether or not the movie intended that disparity in like mm-hmm. who i agreed with or if the movie if i'm just supposed to be sympathetic with andy like the whole time You know what I mean? I think that there is a lot of tension within the the making of the adapting of this piece of property where you have industry people adapting a story written by somebody who has an axe to grind with industry people. That that's what I think. And I think that there ended up with some tension there. Now, whether or not that was purposeful tension, I don't know. Yeah. But I, mm-hmm. I, I do think that that is what happened. Again, I am I am sympathetic to the idea that it probably is purposeful, knowing uh, only one other thing that uh, Aline Brosh McKenna, the writer of this, mm-hmm. did, which is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I think that is intentional because yeah. so much of that show, that is the whole show, is, you know, the protagonist of that show you is is does the wrong thing a lot is fucks up a lot makes terrible decisions but also her friends do fucked up you know like everybody does fucked up stuff to each other like everybody's just like a messed up person trying to trying their best basically um and so i think it's it doesn't seem it seems perfectly reasonable that that is also the case in this movie and that is intentional Mm -hmm. that it comes across that way but i i think part of what makes it hard for me to believe that it just it feels not hard for me to believe it but i think the tension comes in because i know this movie was made in 2006 it some of i think what it's saying culturally feels a little bit ahead of its time maybe not really like i say that not really yeah, I guess, l- but kind of like it is but it isn't yeah i don't know I, I guess it's just that this kind of movie i don't expect maybe that's what it is is that i when when i when i see like it's a it's a it's like a comedy like a fashion comedy drama not drama what even is it what is 
a, a comedy drama. I don't know. It's not really a drama. It's, it's not it, really. Yeah, but... yeah, kind of is, I guess. Um, but whatever this is, I guess what I, I, I think part of that, too, is that I, I wasn't expecting that sort of like layered. I, I was expecting more of like it to be more like a lighthearted, like mm-hmm. with like a very simple like sort of message, because it just seems like what the movie is when you watch the trailer, I guess. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it's a particularly like deep thing. But um, because it again, it is like a comedy and like it just I'm imagining it's 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 a little more surface level than I think maybe it is. And maybe that's why I have that tension with um, what I was getting out of the movie versus what I wasn't sure what the movie if that was what I was supposed to be getting out of the movie and stuff like that. But anyways, um, OK, my next question is. Does Andy become motivated by people telling her she can't do the job? Because that's kind of ultimately what spur sparks her in the film to stay with the job and to actually get good at it is that several people, uh, Nigel in the last scene is like, you should just quit. Um, uh, somebody else specifically, there's a handful of people in the movie Mm -hmm. who specifically are like, you, you can't do this job. You should not do this job. You should quit. And basically she decides she makes it like a personal challenge and is like, no, I can do this. And I actually like that angle. I think that's really interesting and gives me gives a reason because otherwise, yeah, she would just quit because she doesn't care about like not really. She starts to learn and appreciate it. But like it's not her passion still, Mm -hmm. like even though she does start to learn and appreciate fashion, it's not something she's going to make her career necessarily um, because it's not the main thing she's uh, passionate about. And uh so, but I like the kind of switching that and making it be like become this like internal challenge of like, I'm going to prove all these people wrong. I can do this. And I wanted to know if that was like the same motivation that came from the book. Uh, it's not a vibe I got from the book. Um, her motivation in the book comes more solely from the idea that she can like skip spending a few years working her mm. way up as a writer if she can get that recommendation from Miranda and she, she kind of doesn't really even get that good at her job in the book. As she is. She, in the movie, yeah. She kind mm-hmm. of blunders through it the whole time. Interesting. Yeah. I, Cause it, the movie, I think there's definitely a hint of that at the beginning. Like she's like, Oh, if I can work here, I can use this yeah. as a stepping stone. Um, but that doesn't definitely is not her continued motivation. It yes. definitely switches like halfway through the movie to like, I'm going to do this because everybody's telling me I can't do yeah. this, uh, which again, I thought was interesting. And I like that. And, um, and I actually think if that's the reason that's like the only good reason, maybe not the only one of the only good reasons she could have had to stay in this job was like as a test of her personal like because mm-hmm. I, I actually think that is maybe a compelling reason to do it is like as to test your personal willpower or whatever like i don't think there's anything wrong with that if you want to see if you can do a thing like i would never run an ultra marathon but <laughs> i understand the idea of being compelled to, sh- to to prove to yourself that you can run an ultra marathon mm-hmm. and i think that's a perfectly like good reason to do it you know and it's not even it feels like it's also not even necessarily i think the movie does a good job of this it's not like i'm gonna prove necessarily other people wrong like that they're Mm -hmm. wrong it's i'm gonna prove to myself that i can do this yeah which i think is a subtle it's a subtle difference but i think an important one if she was trying to prove other people wrong i don't think that's a good justification but if she's trying to prove to herself Mm -hmm. that she can do something i think that's like a morally good justification (laughs) for maybe at least to some extent you know what i mean like it feels more morally justifiable than just like 
killing yourself for money mm-hmm. or killing you know like uh, yeah i didn't think we were gonna get so philosophical on this well, episode it, it, this movie is all about work and the, the, our relationship <laughs> with work and our relationship with Aaron labor cover this? Yeah, we should have had a freaking uh <laughs> like a yeah a, uh, somebody who's like specializes in like the philosophy of like um labor and like, we should have carl <laughs> marx on um <laughs> <laughs> no but I, like you know uh we, yeah i i do because i it is the movie really is is a layered analysis of like again of work of labor of what it means like w- how much work is worth it like mm-hmm. what what is what is worth it to sacrifice for your job what is you know yeah. um, how much should you sacrifice for your dreams versus your relationships like it, it is you know it analyzes all that stuff in it and i think the thing that's really interesting about the film is it doesn't really give you an answer necessarily which i think is yeah. compelling like it doesn't like it doesn't say one way or the other necessarily it's like well here's one way people do it here's right. another way to do it i don't know figure it right. out well, no i mean <laughs> yeah you're right because obviously there was a line for andy yeah right but not so for miranda yeah and the movie doesn't really judge her for that yeah it does a little bit but not really which we talked about in the prequel the director said you know, that he he was a lot more sympathetic to Miranda's character than he thought maybe the book was and other. Um, I would say definitely. Yeah. And um, and, and I do think the movie kind of ultimately lands on uh, on, you know, in a, uh, an admiration of Miranda's character, despite the fact that, you know, that she is a terrible person. Like, yeah. It, the movie doesn't sugarcoat that she's a terrible or, you know, doesn't pretend she's not a terrible person. No. Um, but it also or at least in regards to work, like. Her, she's probably a great mother. We don't know. We we don't really see her relationship with her kids. I think it's implied by the movie that she's like a good mom, uh, mm-hmm. even though we don't ever see that on screen. Um, but it definitely the movie does not pretend that she's not an awful boss. Yeah. But it does say, well, it does kind of fall on the thing again, which I is where I, I think I have the major issue with it is it, is it goes, well, but maybe that's what you need is an awful boss. And I'm like, I don't know. like for this kind of <laughs> eh, well, anyways, we'll get in more into that. later. Uh, so then Miranda, uh, there's this whole debacle where uh, Andy makes a mistake where she's bringing her like the book that the, 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 the layout book or whatever mm-hmm. that Miranda makes notes in every night. And she's supposed to just, like, leave it at, at her house, but she, like, tries to bring it upstairs to her and then, like, stumbles into a, an argument between Miranda and her husband. Um, and then the next day, Miranda is punishing her for this um, by giving her essentially an impossible task. She wants the new Harry Potter book, and Andy's like, oh, I'll run down to Barnes & Noble. And she goes, no, the new one that's not out yet. Give me the unpublished manuscript. And obviously this would never be possible, but... Uh, Andy is able to swing it by because she's friends with the Christian, the guy, yeah. and he knows she, she uses her connections. She uses her connections. None of it makes it whatever. It, it doesn't happen. really doesn't yeah. really matter though. But I want to know if that all came from the book. <laughs> this actually does come from the book, uh, although I prefer the movie's version of it. So in the book, she is tasked with getting the newest Harry Potter, but it's like a week ahead of its launch date. Or maybe even like a few days. I don't remember for sure. So she's not trying to get a hold of like an unpublished, unfinished manuscript. She's just trying to get someone at like Scholastic to sell the book to her early, basically. Still a difficult task considering how tightly locked down Harry Potter was back in the day. Um, But not nearly as difficult as a a literal proof (laughs) 
of yes. the manuscript. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate that the movie made that into something that's more obviously a huge challenge because I don't know if everyone viewing the movie would necessarily understand that it would be a challenge to even get the book a couple days early. I think people would because this is a 2006 Harry yeah. Potter peak of its popularity. But yeah, I, no, it is fair. It makes it it helps the stakes. Uh, yes, it ups further. the stakes. Yeah. I think it makes it a little more interesting. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's just it literally impossible. But she pulls it off because, and that person got launched into the sun. Whoever right. let that guy have that <laughs> manuscript <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> obliterated so i wanted to know uh, let's talk about the boyfriend a little bit here um uh i wanted to know if he has the same feelings if his his if his whole thing about her job is like his feelings on her new job are the same in the movie in the book like does he mm -hmm. uh not like it i guess um okay so her boyfriend is alex in the book and we actually interact with him like a little bit less because they don't live together uh, but he does basically feel the same way okay. about it. Get, and I have a million more notes yes, about we have a million more. Question. We have a million more notes about that in just a second, so we'll get to that. But in general, he has a very similar kind of yes. uh, vibe about the whole thing. Yes. Okay. Uh, I just want to know if this line was in uh, the, the movie or in the book, because, again, this ties into the whole um, kind of messy uh, <laughs> message of the film and what it thinks about, like, ruining your life for your job or your career. Uh, and it's, uh, they're on a photo shoot and Nigel has a line where he, they're talking about like she's doing pretty well and, and blah, blah, blah. And he says, wait until your whole life goes up in smoke. That means it's time for a promotion. Basically describing that his, you know, he's he's pretty much ruined his entire life, like personal life in order to achieve this career mm -hmm. aspirations that he has. And I want to know if that line came from the book. Uh, that line does not come from the book. OK. Because I was at this point, I was still really interested to see how this resolved and what the message was going to be, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get to obviously shortly. But uh, another line I want to know if it was in the book because it's it's kind of um, another thing in the movie that is played in interesting tension yeah. of like what does the movie think about this? Yeah, uh, and and that is Emily's character, all the characters, but specifically Emily's character. Um, Emily Blunt's character, Emily, uh, who is the other assistant that essentially hired Anne as like her assistant or the second assistant to Miranda, uh, is is obsessed with being thin. Um, again, it's she's working in fashion in New York in 2006. So, of course. Uh, but I wanted to know if the specific line they're they're going to like a, an event dinner or whatever together. And uh, Miranda or Emily says like she's she's almost down to her goal weight. And she says, I'm just one stomach flew away from my goal weight. And I wanted to know if that came from the book. <laughs> it's not from the book. Um, the other thing I want to talk about in this scene, though, is her description of her cheese cube diet. Yes. Uh, which is also not from the book, but it's so darkly funny to me. Yeah. Uh, it, it sounds ridiculous, but it's also very in line with like eating disorder behaviors oh, yeah. and dangerous yeah, she's dieting. She's literally just describing like, yes, very she has an eating, eating disorder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which and again, the movie it, it it plays the all of the talk about dieting and stuff for laughs, and it does feel like it's it. There's at least some commentary there. But yeah, well, I guess we'll talk about it more. No, I do. I have that. notes okay. about that more later. Yeah, there's at least some commentary there, but it it's hard to tell how much. Yeah, how much <laughs> the movie like is criticizing that, but we'll get to it. Um, 
So they were going to this big gala that basically Andy got roped into last minute, like a benefit dinner. Uh, And because of that, she has to miss her boyfriend's birthday party. Like her and her friends, they were all going out to celebrate his birthday. Uh, And she misses it because she has to go to this event. Uh, And obviously he's not psyched about that. I don't want to know if that was like an inflection point in their relationship that came from the book. Um, So she doesn't miss his birthday in the book, but she does miss a fancy date night and a weekend trip that he okay. had planned. A weekend trip is honestly even, uh, I would argue, maybe yeah. a bigger thing. That's than, that's worse, I think. Than, yeah, than just missing. I mean, the birthday's whatever, but he's not, he's not like, turning 18. Right. <laughs> like, that's, I mean, and I think that's kind of the way that a lot of people feel about this scene. It's like, I, I, yeah, that sucks, but also you're, like... Yeah, you're an adult. <laughs> I will say I, I I get that, and like the but to me it's it's also a little bit of an uh of accumulation of events that have led yes. up to this point where she's I, like he's watching her like completely you know work herself to the bone and and just not be around anymore, and it kind of is capped off by this event where she also misses his birthday again. I think if it was just like this one birthday she missed, you would think that it wouldn't be that big a deal, but. Uh, so then uh, we're getting ready to go to uh, it's coming up on Paris Fashion Week, which is the, obviously the biggest fashion event of the year. Um, and Emily was supposed to be going, but Emily uh, kind of was sick at one point and kind of didn't wasn't on her game at the the benefit dinner and didn't recognize who one of the people was. And, and M, uh, Andy stepped in and like knew who it was. And this impressed Miranda. And now Miranda has been so impressed with Andy that she wants to take her to Paris instead of Emily. And initially, Andy is like, no, I'm not. I don't want to go. You got to take Emily. This is like her dream. You got to take her. And Miranda essentially like forces her to go to Paris by threatening to blacklist her at like uh, she's she basically says, if you don't go, uh, good luck finding another like writing, yeah. finding a writing job anywhere in, in New York or whatever. And I wanted to know if that played out the same in the book, because I, I kind of d- don't like that. <laughs> Um, I think it messes with the message a little bit, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I I don't recall Miranda ever, like, straight up threatening to blacklist her. She might have, and I might have just forgotten about it in the book. Um, But uh, how she ends up getting to go to Paris is also different in the book. Um, um, Emily gets mono in the book and actually, like, acknowledges that she really and truly cannot go. Yeah. So Andy is like the only one who's left to do it. And I I think the movie leans more into the idea that Andy's like stepping over Emily. It tries to. By agreeing to go to Paris. But I I think, yes, it immediately muddles things by one, having Miranda threaten to blacklist her. And two, then Emily immediately gets hit by a car and like wouldn't be able to go go anyway. She's a broken leg. Yeah. Yeah. She's in the hospital. Yeah. And and then we'll get to this. But this I think this the way this plays out muddles the ending a little. Bit, uh, yeah, I agree. Which we'll get to in just a few minutes here, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but speaking of it, does Emily get hit by a taxi in the book? She does not. I do suspect that this is inspired by something in the book. Uh, so in the book, Andy's friend Lily, which, which she does have a friend named Lily in the movie, but she has kind of a larger role in the book. The one who's like the photographer? Yes. Or whatever? Yeah. Um, she's also her roommate in oh, the okay. book. Yeah. Um, so Lily gets into a bad car accident while uh, Andy is in Paris, and the other car is a cab. Ah. So I feel like maybe they were taking some inspiration there. Uh, the book does take that event very seriously, while the movie kind of plays it as like a comedy beat. Yeah. But maybe inspired by. Yeah. I don't know. 
Okay, so this next conversation uh, was such a, again, it's another scene. <laughs> I'm going to try not to talk about it for too long because uh, this episode's already going long. But um, uh, they go to the photo gallery. Their friend Lily, like you said, is having a, a gallery and they go and they're having a conversation. And then uh, Nate shows up and they get into an argument. And this conversation was so uh, frustrating to me because initially I agreed with everything he was saying. And then he takes this weird left turn and starts like criticizing her integrity and saying mm-hmm. that they don't have anything in common anymore. And cause initially he's criticizing her for like, cause she's got to rush out and leave. I think like to go, I think Miranda calls or something is going like, yeah. she's got to, again, she's got to like rush out and go and go do this job at, at God, you know, in the middle of the night or whatever. And initially he's like his, his, what he's talking to her about is that and about how this like job is consuming her and like blah, blah, blah. But then again, it takes this weird turn where he's like, and you have no integrity and you don't make fun of, we used to make fun of fashion girls and now you don't. And I was like, wait, what? That's not relevant to what your criticism should be. Uh, is it that any of that conversation come from the book? Uh, they do have a couple of fights and conversations in the book that are very similar to this. Uh, not exactly the same, but very similar. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of her boyfriend in either the book or the movie. I don't think you're supposed to be. Well, I, I think it's I, mixed. I don't know. I, I think he's technically right about some stuff, but it bothers me that in both mediums, he's very quick to make it about her newfound interest yes. in fashion. Yeah. Like, yeah, she is being a kind of a selfish asshole and like destroying herself for this job. But also it's not a crime to be interested in fashion. No. Liking dresses and makeup doesn't make her a bad person. No, my I, guy. I agree. And he's making such a good point initially where he's like, you know, it, it, there's he even makes a good point and it, and it gets so muddy because there's this great line he has where, you know, she's he's like. And that's why this this scene almost felt like it was written by two different people, because at the beginning of the conversation, he's like, um, you know, she he's saying something and then she says something to him about, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, it's not like a, a real job like you are. There's some conversation he goes and he has the self-awareness to go. I'm a chef. I'm reducing yeah. freaking pork glaze sauces you know all day it's not like i'm in the peace corps like i'm it's not that your i think your job is like superficial but then he immediately pivots off of that and you know he said initially starts saying it's like it's not like i think your job is superficial and dumb and mine isn't because i I, you know i I make fancy food like whatever it's not my job is also superficial and dumb um to some extent but but then he pivots immediately away from that and is like but fashion is it's like this weird i'm like like schizophrenic like converse i'm like what that's not the point you were just making and then but no, I completely agree that, and that's why I found the conversation so frustrating is because he is right that like she is destroying her life for this job in a way that is just, if that were my part, if that were you, if you got a new job and you all of a sudden were working all hours of the day mm. and like, you know, you were getting calls at, at midnight and you were just like, yeah, I would be like, well, this fucking sucks. Like, you know, we got, you know, we need to have a conversation about this. Um, you shouldn't be destroying your life for this job that you don't even really care about that much or seemingly didn't care about that much. Yeah. Obviously, she does now, at least to some extent. Um, but I will say I do think it, it is at least somewhat realistic, like their breakup and stuff, um, because he is like kind of making not everybody makes perfectly logical, rational like points all the sure. time. Like, he, yeah, he throws in some kind of backhanded like, you know, insults about 
fashion and her like not you know losing her integrity and maybe that is realistic like it starts a more like level like grounded criticism of like what the mm-hmm. job is doing to her and then kind of like as it devolves. escalates devolves into this like more petty thing or something yeah maybe i don't know but i don't know i i, I just there's one moment in the book that actually really pissed me off. Um, uh, so I mentioned that her best friend gets into a car accident yeah. while she's in Paris. And it's, it's a pretty bad accident. Like her friend is in the hospital in a coma. And Andy wants to come home. She, but she's immediately caught in this awful space of like knowing that she'll be fired if she leaves. And that the entire past year of misery will have been for nothing because she's only like a month away from the one year mark. Um, and she eventually does get home. And her boyfriend, with, with they're on a break at this point, but he immediately accuses her of choosing parties and fashion shows over her best friend when she 100% did not do that. And like in the movie, Andy does come to find an interest in the world that she's been thrust into, but yeah. that's not even the case in the book. She's not having fun in Paris the way that Andy is in the movie. Yeah. She's a miserable ball of anxiety the entire time. And then the supposed love of her life's response to that is to accuse her of being shallow and horror of horrors girly. Oh, yeah. I don't, sir, please take several seats. Yeah. I don't know. And while I'm on this chair, you mentioned this later in your notes, but the movie makes the choice to have Nate be a chef. Yes. As you mentioned, he's a teacher in the book. Also a very demanding job that you tend to bring home with you a lot. Yeah. But anyway, and I have to agree with your point about him being upset that her never being around uh, because of her demanding uh time-consuming job would be in the real world awfully fucking rich coming from someone working in the restaurant industry no absolutely that was the thing that i as when they have that falling out and i'm like it's why would they make him a chef of yeah in new of all york. things in new york he's a chef in, are yeah. you kidding me a chef of famously um a very chill yeah. job that has Dude, very set hours yeah. and tons of free time yeah you're, you're definitely not at a restaurant 20 hours a day yeah. or whatever like yeah and that, it, it is one of those things that does feel kind of funny and because he is he's an aspirational chef too he's not yeah like he wants to like you know he's not just like working it because he that's what he does like he's working at fine restaurants and wants to like move up and be like a you know a head chef yeah. or whatever one day and yeah there's just no way that i'm like i'm surprised they see each other at all like right? either of them yeah, I, if anything he shouldn't even notice that she's gone yeah, most that, of the time yeah absolutely because yeah if she had a normal job job you know or you know she was working like a more normal hours yeah he, he yeah. would be gone all the time so yeah it is like they should have just given him like some bullshit nine to five or something, something. yeah yeah it is it is very funny to me that he's he's a chef i'm like of all the jobs <laughs> to give a guy and then have him be upset that that his 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 partner is like working too demanding of a job that has awful hours it's like oh, no. all right <laughs> Do you know what chefs like, do? Do you understand how chefs As I do? said, awfully fucking rich. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm talking about more from the writer's perspective in this yeah. movie. Like, why would you make him a chef? That's just such a strange choice. Because, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. But whatever. But, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. Is like it, He's definitely being a dick because uh, he's, you know, he's demeaning her work and stuff. And, he, and it's just, I don't know. And, again, it's one of the things where the movie kind of does, I think, a good job where it's like it's 
in a real conversation when you're arguing with somebody some of the points you make are good and some of them are bad and like yeah. some of his points are good and some of them are bad i don't know um but yeah uh, so we in Paris, uh, there's so they break up and then they, she goes off to Paris. And then in Paris, there's a moment where she's coming back to her hotel and she goes into Miranda's um, suite and Miranda's there makeup lists on the couch. Um, clearly, she's been crying. She's been upset. Uh, and Andy is kind of taken aback by this. And Miranda kind of spills her heart and says that her husband is divorcing her. Um, this is her second husband, I believe. Um, and I, it's an interesting scene. Uh, and I, I, I wanted to know if it came from the book. I, it's another scene that I'm two minds of. It's like, I, yes, but also have you tried not being a horrible person to everybody? Maybe that would make your life better. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe your life wouldn't suck if you weren't a miserable workaholic. I don't know. Like, I, uh, just, a, just an idea. Uh, so that scene is not from the book. Um, we, Miranda doesn't ever get divorced in the book. Yeah. Uh, she is married. But her husband seems to tolerate her just fine in the book. Yeah. Um, but I like the movie's decision to make Miranda's character more multidimensional. Yeah. No, she um, is. Yeah. yeah. In I, the, yeah, I like in it the too. book, she's pretty much just like barking orders all the time. Yeah. We never really see like a different or a more vulnerable side to her. And I think the movie's take is more interesting. No, definitely. I agree. It's more interesting for sure. Um, I, I, it's one of those though, where I don't have a ton of sympathy because not, it's not that I don't have any sympathy. It's just that it's again, it's like, I guess I, I don't know. I, I think I would I, I would have a lot more sympathy for her character were I watching this in 2006. Mm -hmm. But again, I just my perspective on 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 work and bosses and stuff has changed so much. I have no patience for the fucking hard ass who screams at everybody and has impossible demands and is mm -hmm. an asshole. Like, I don't care if you're miserable, like, don't be miserable and then you won't be miserable. <laughs> don't make everybody else miserable and then spoiler, you won't be miserable. Like, I, you yeah. know, it's, like, it's, yeah. just, it's not like it's one of those things where it's not like she's, you know, forced into this situation. She 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 is the C, you know, it's just, I, and again, it, 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 the movie's clearly trying to do that thing of like, you know, she's, she's, she has to push this hard because in order to achieve these great things and that's all at the expense of her family and stuff. And it's like, okay, sure. But then I, I don't, then when that stuff crumbles, I'm not that upset for her because she clearly cares more about the work than her family. Like, mm -hmm. like, like if your point is, you know, you have to sacrifice these things. She has to sacrifice these things to be the great, you know, editor of this incredible, like, world, you know, worldwide magazine. Then when she's upset about it, I just have less sympathy because it's like, well, yeah, that's what happens when you give up everything for your job. You yeah. give up everything. It's like definitionally what happens. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's just like the movie's like, oh, you see, she's sad about the fact. It's like, well, okay, but then she could just yeah, not I spend mean, so much time at work. I, I think, <laughs> I, I think I could have some nominal sympathy for like the idea that you could get caught up in doing that kind of thing because you think that it's the only way that it can be done, and then one day you like look around and you're like, oh fuck, yeah. I, would agree I got with that. to where I wanted to be, but at what cost? I would agree with that, but that's not the journey we get from I know. this character. <laughs> she continues doing the same thing because <laughs> that's what she wants to do. And it's like, that's fine. But then, and and I, I don't even, I like the scene. And I, and it's not that I have no sympathy. Like, I, I understand and like, I do have sympathy. And I think that would be really hard. 
But at the same time, there's, a, there's another part of me. It's like, but what did you, that's what you chose. Like you chose yes. this. Like that's so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. Mis- your personal life <laughs> miserable because you are a miserable person. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like what? Yeah. Um, a little line that I wanted to just talk about briefly. Uh, I mostly agree with it, but I just wanted to comment on it a little bit. And, and I'm realizing reading your notes that I think we were looking at this from different perspectives. But there's a line where Andy is talking about Miranda and says, if Miranda were a man, no one would notice how ruthless she is. It's not the exact line, but it's something along those lines. She says something about, like, um, nobody would say anything about her except, like, how good she is at her, at her job. Yes. If she were a man. And I was like, there is truth to that. Obviously, she would not be judged as harshly if she were a man as, as she does as a woman in business, obviously. But also I disagree because like, but also if she were a dude who was as much of an asshole as Miranda is in this movie. People would still hate her, him. Like if it was a guy, yes. people would still hate I, him. Absolutely. People would still hate Miranda yeah. if she were a man, but I, there would be a difference in the, the systemic treatment. Yes. Um, and now the movie tells us exactly how the tabloids treat Miranda. Yeah. And I don't think that, they would treat a male version of her the same way. I, I, I think the behavior agree, yes. that is considered a moral failing for her, you know, to not be soft and empathetic and nurturing, that's considered a moral failing for Miranda because right. she's a woman. But it would not be so if she were a man. Right. I agree with that. I was thinking more so from the perspective. I wasn't thinking about like the tabloids and the outside world necessarily. I was thinking from the perspective of the people she works with. And I mean, like, of course her employees would hate her. That's what still. I mean. That's where I was <laughs> thinking because it's Andy saying it. And like, uh-huh. I guess I was, and they were just talking about the tabloids and stuff. So I, I agree, but I, for whatever reason in my head, I was thinking about like the perspective of like her coworkers and the people in her circle and her family and all that sort of stuff. I was like, yeah, no, if you were the same per you, people would still, you're just an yeah. asshole. Like, I'm, it's, I mean, regardless I, of I, gender, I you're do an asshole. still think <laughs> That if this were a male character, even from the people in her immediate circle, I think a male character would probably get more leeway still. Yeah, I I, I won't disagree that you would get more leeway, but she is such an asshole. That yes. It's, it's, it's to a level where it's like, OK, you're just an like nobody would say you aren't an asshole, like regardless of gender. I'm sorry. You're just a nightmare person. Um, But I appreciate that the movie at least acknowledges yes, this yes. aspect of the character because the book does not acknowledge it at all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so in Paris, does uh, Anne Hathaway sleep with Christian Thompson, the New Yorker author? Do they have a fling? A um, Paris fling? They have a little bit of a romantic fling, but I, I don't believe she sleeps with him. Um, okay. If she did, it was very much a fade to black and not very noticeable. Yeah. I, I don't believe she does. Okay. She definitely does in the movie. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but then after this, she finds out from him that uh, Runway, because uh, he knows the guy who owns, like the business guy who owns yeah. the magazine, um, and and knows that 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 they're going to replace Miranda. Basically, they're they're replacing her with somebody who's younger and cheaper. Basically, yeah. they're like, we can get this other person who's like an editor for the she's, European she's version. She's the editor in chief for the French version of yeah. Runway, and they want her to, to bring her over to the American to the American version. one, which is like the main yeah. one or whatever, and have her do it because they can pay her less, basically, and, yeah. she, and she won't be as much of a pain to work with. And I want to know if that came from the book. No, it does not. This this is the third act. That they added oh, to the movie, okay. Okay. Um, and I like it as a third act. I think it works, um, like this whole thing, yeah, um, and yeah, every, no, I, everything I that stems well. out yeah. from this. Yeah. I also wanted to bring up because I think it's funny that the movie doesn't acknowledge this. Like, I know it's not Andy's motivation for warning Miranda, but I feel like I've never seen anyone acknowledge that if Miranda is out, 
Andy is likely out on her ass as well. Yeah. As Miranda's assistant. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Like, I, there could be, like, a self-preservation argument to be made for her warning Miranda. This is true. That, that, that's absolutely true. It definitely, the movie feels like it's more of, like, a... Like, um, she's being sympathetic she's being to sympathetic Miranda and like, in this and, moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that is true. Uh, I, obviously, then, this part probably would not be in the book either, but we, we I talked about in the summary that... The way Miranda knows about this and she has found out and she basically we get like a heist style recap (laughs) heist movie recap where I was like, oh, it was a little silly, but whatever. It's fun Um, where it like shows what like all the stuff strings she was pulling behind the scenes to uh, to save her job. And ultimately what she does is that Nigel was going to leave runway to go co-run a new like some sort of fashion Mm -hmm. company or something with one of the designers that they work with at the magazine. Yeah. And be like his co, like the, again the co, like the like the president or CEO yeah. or something of this yeah. company. He was basically going to run this company, um, and then the way Miranda gets out of uh, basically pulls this off is that she announced they're, they're like at this big meeting, like this big runway, like like a banquet event, thing. banquet thing. Um, they're announcing this new fashion company that this designer is starting, and she announces the the new person who's going to be joining him on that venture but she announces the woman who would have been replacing her mm-hmm. when in fact it should have been Nigel. That was what was agreed upon. And essentially she like completely screws Nigel out of his job, which he was very excited about because he would finally get to like, you know, live his life because he would be calling the shots. He wouldn't have to put up with Miranda shit anymore. And he would be able to like, again, have his own freedom and that sort of thing. And I, I was, I assume none of that is in the book. No, that is also part of the added third act. And I also think it works. Yeah, um, no, I thought that worked really I, well. I think it's a good demonstration of who Miranda is and how ruthless she is. And I do think it's a good catalyst for what happens next with Andy mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, but uh, I also wanted to know if then, obviously, I guess not, but let's just talk about it. Because then after that... Uh, Andy calls her out and is like, how could you do that to Nigel? Like, yeah. you know, he, he was going to take that job and you just, you stole it from him and, 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 you know, ruined his career dreams. And Miranda spins it back on her and says that she did the same thing to Emily. And yeah, by agreeing to come to Paris. By agreeing to come to Paris. And this like crushes Andy and makes her reevaluate everything a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's also and, and I'm not saying it wouldn't have that effect on Andy. I think it works narratively in the movie because I think Andy might feel that way. Right. But it's also complete bullshit. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, Andy, Andy not do that Andy to doesn't, Emily. She doesn't really do the same thing to Emily. Like, I think it's similar enough. And Andy's probably feeling guilty enough about it for that realization to work. Like for it to work, like yes. to get from point A to point B. Yes. And it also doesn't surprise me that Miranda would think of it the same way. Yes, I agree. I, that's the thing. I think it works in the script. Like, I think yes. it works narratively because I, I do. I think Miranda would f- think that way. Or even if she didn't, she would use it that way. Yes, absolutely. And I think Andy might feel guilty that way. Not would, might. I think she definitely would feel guilty that way. But as an objective outside observer, it is so clearly not remotely the same yeah. that it's it's like <laughs> laughable <laughs> that that that. <laughs> It's like, you know, if, 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 if somebody else were sitting in that car and be like, wait a second, uh, pardon me, 
That is nothing like what you just did to him. She had no control. Emily literally could not come. Yeah. You blackmailed her into you blackmailed and uh, Andy into coming here. Not not like you would fire her because that would be one thing. But you literally like you can you, you won't threaten her entire future. Yes, like of course she had no choice. It is completely different. And again, but that, that being said, it does work within the context of the movie because again for. Each of the characters, yeah. the understanding of the situation, I think it works. But as an outside observer, I was like, no, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, and then I believe this is my uh, almost my last question. Second to last question. Does Andy ultimately quit? Um, because ultimately in the film, she realizes, well, I don't want to do this. She quits. Uh, and then she goes and has a conversation with her boyfriend is like, well, yeah, that was a nightmare. Anyways, uh, I wanted to know if that's how the movie wraps up or the sorry, the book wraps up. Uh, she does quit. Uh, as we've discussed, the movie added a third act to the story, uh, and now having read the book, I can understand why. Yeah. Uh, here's what happens in the book. Andy is in Paris and gets the news that Lily's in the hospital. She agonizes over what to do, and she initially kind of panics and tells Miranda that she isn't going to leave because, like, her dad calls her while she's in the limo with Miranda, and then Miranda's like, what is that about? And Andy's, like, not prepared to kind of go head to head with Miranda in this moment. So she initially kind of panics and is like, no, no, of course I'm not going to leave. Of course I'm not going to leave. Um, and Miranda commends her on that decision and tells Andy that she reminds her of herself when she was younger. Which also which she also in does movie. in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And that disturbs Andy. Yeah. Uh, and then immediately after this, uh, Miranda tells Andy that the twins passports are expired. Uh, Cause she wants the twins to come to Paris with her. And but their passports are expired and that they need new ones by morning. Um, so basically, she asks Andy to do something that Another usually, that usually takes several weeks yeah. um, overnight while she's out of the country. Um, so having reached that absolute her absolute breaking point, uh, Andy tells Miranda to fuck off and then leaves. Yeah. Um, and then there's a ton of denouement. There's like two chapters of denouement in the book where Andy is just like hanging out at home and submitting her writing to magazines. Um, so the end of the book kind of feels like slowly letting the air out of the balloon. Uh, and it's definitely one of the things that makes the book feel more like someone recounting something that happened to them rather than like a cohesive piece of fiction. Yeah. She also does tell her boyfriend that he was right, but I hate him so much in both iterations that I, I honestly can't feel anything but blind rage about that. I I get that. And in retrospect, I do think that the, the, the main failing at, that the movie could have corrected at the end was just have him also apologize for being a dick because yeah. he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and she apologizes. He does not. And it's weird because I do think, like, he was being a dick. He was being demeaning and, like, you know, infantilizing and stuff. She was letting her job consume her in a way that was really unhealthy, not only for herself, but also for their relationship. Um, and they, they so they both fucked up. And it feels like the movie knows this, but then it doesn't have him admit it. And yeah. that is, like, I think where they fail there. Like, if they just yeah. have him go, yeah, and I, I'm sorry. I know it was, like, you know, like, just have him be like, yeah, I was a dick, too. Like, I shouldn't yeah. have. I I should have tried to be more supportive or sympathetic or, yeah. or something. Yeah, or it shouldn't have been as, you know, I should have understood that that meant a lot, that the job meant a lot to you and that you yeah. were doing your best and that sort of thing. Like, there's stuff he could have said that would have been very true. Um, and, and they basically just leave it one-sided, which is interesting because, like I said, I do think that ultimately earlier in the movie, it does feel like the movie understands that they're both being kind of, like, yeah. they're both wrong to some extent. But uh, the way it wraps up makes it kind of puts it squarely on her shoulders versus his. 
um which yeah i agree is not not ideal but um just a subtle tweak to that dialogue there at the end of having him apologize i think would have helped a lot so then my last question is do andy and miranda have a misty-eyed reunion from across the street uh <laughs> Andy had just got her new job at the at the newspaper and she's walking down Market Street or whatever in New York and sees Miranda getting into a car and they see each other and Miranda uh, Andy waves at her Miranda and kind of smiles Miranda doesn't respond obviously uh, and just gets in the car and drives away but then as she's driving away she like kind of smiles uh, and the movie ends and I wanted to know if any of that came from the book absolutely it does not okay um, they part on bad terms and continue on bad terms in the book. So Andy doesn't get like a recommendation from her yeah. or anything like that. And again, I, I think the movie made the right call here to give Miranda more dimension. Yeah, I think it makes for a more interesting villain overall. And I think that if Miranda does indeed see herself in Andy, as she says she does, it makes sense that somewhere deep, deep down... Yeah. She might empathize with her. Yeah, for sure. The end of the book felt very much to me like the author was writing herself a fantasy ending. Like she she leaves this job and then she almost immediately sells a story to Seventeen magazine. And then lo and behold, it turns out the lady who works there also hates Miranda and also wants to buy a bunch more of Andy's stuff. It, it just felt very juvenile to no, me yeah. as an ending, um, especially with how cartoonishly Miranda is portrayed in the book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would agree because I think that the thing that the movie does well is that it, it at least from my perspective, is that it, it creates it paints Miranda as an actual human being and not a cartoon villain yeah. while still being clearly a not a good person. Yes. Like and I think that's way more interesting. And and, and you can tell it's not somebody like with an axe to grind in the mm -hmm. film necessarily. Like it, like from your descriptions of the book, it sounds like somebody who just hated this person and was like, I'm going to oh, write a indictment of them, um, you know, and uh, sort of their humanity. It's, be a, it's, it's a little bit. um. It is a little bit of a Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, you're writing it and you're like, I'm going to place all of my enemies into different circles of hell. Yeah. Everyone that I personally hate. Yeah. And I, and I do like that the movie acknowledges the humanity of even like the most obnoxiously like miserable, you know, boss you've ever had. Like yeah. I, they're still people. They still have feelings. They're not just like evil automatons. You know what I mean? Right. Like they're not like evil doesn't exist they're they're just a person you know obviously they're they're shitty person that it's okay to not like and think they're terrible but also they are a person they have real like yeah <laughs> emotions and motive you know what i mean they're not like yeah again they're not just an evil robot or something like that um it, so i i do think having her that that end scene i think makes a lot of sense having her recommend uh andy for the job I think makes a lot of sense. I think that all makes sense. And I think it, it adds, like you said, a layer to her character. That's really interesting and fleshes her out while still keeping her like, yeah, she's the, not, yeah. she's a good villain. No, she's yeah. It's, it's the, the layers and the nuance just make it so much more interesting from an audience perspective. I, I don't think we could have had the kind of like semi-philosophical conversations we've been having in this episode. Had yeah. we just been talking about the book? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what you thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. I can race through these. Um, so something that uh, Andy describes in the book, uh, she calls the runway paranoid turnaround, 
Um, and it's this phenomenon that she notices shortly after starting to work there, where as soon as someone who works there starts to criticize Miranda in any way, they immediately like kind of like glance over their shoulder and start like retracting their statements. <laughs> yeah. Like they're afraid she's going to somehow swoop out of the shadows and find Jump out about out of it. A bookcase yeah. Um, we interact with Andy's family quite a bit more in the book, which I think adds another layer of dimension yeah, to her. her dad in the movie, yeah, we but... see her dad, but just kind of briefly. Yeah. I like that the book focuses more on Andy's relationship with her best friend, Lily, whereas the movie cho- chooses to go more hard on her romantic relationship with her boyfriend, uh, which is, you know, it's fine. Um, but there was this element in the book of like her thinking that her and Lily's relationship could still be the same as it was when they were college roommates that I found like really relatable and kind of bittersweet. Yeah. Uh, So Miranda in the book always wears these uh, Hermes silk scarves and she treats them like they're disposable. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of this interesting, like recurring theme where she'll just like leave them places yeah. Um. And then demand another one. And these these particular like white silk scarves that she wears have actually been discontinued. And she had purchased like all of the remaining stock when they were discontinued. But Andy is like looking at this remaining stock and she's like, oh, thank God I won't be here when these run out. Yeah. Because that's going to be a terrible day. <laughs> <laughs> um, Emily. Emily is occasionally sympathetic in the book. Uh, She clearly does like Andy at some level, Um, but I feel like that doesn't come through as much in the movie until like the very, very end, which makes it feel a little bit out of left field to me. I didn't, I would slightly disagree. I thought she was a little more, I I, I don't think maybe, maybe more so in the book, but more so in the book for sure. I, I thought I got a vibe before the end end that she did like, Andy more than I don't know maybe it's just reading into the performance a little bit more yeah. but, I, but like I, I got the vibe in the film that she did like Andy it's uh, like uh, without like letting it come through to the surface um at least, not initially obviously but like from the middle of of the movie on I got the vibe that they're well yeah like the whole conversation they have where they're like talking about their diet and stuff when they're I walking. guess that's like fair. some of those little I, I, scenes I, do I think, felt like I think there's more of a camaraderie between them in the book like I said I'm sure there is I'm just saying I don't think it was <laughs> non-existent in the movie I guess that's was fair my, my only point uh there's this particular scene in the book that I understand why the movie dropped it because it would have been a lot to explain but I do think it would have made for a really funny visual so Miranda in the book throws a a party for her brother-in-law, her husband's brother. Um, And he's like, he's wealthy, but he lives like out in Texas and he's like, he's like wealthy in Texas. Mm. So she throws this fancy engagement party at the Met and invites like this whole crowd of like Texas money Ah. people And and it's just, it's this this very funny description of like this beautiful, elegant party at the New York Met. And Miranda is like all decked out in like beautiful, elegant, like couture Chanel or something like that. And then all of these Southerners show up in like, like rhinestone cowboy hats and like 80s 
prom dress right, looking yeah, yeah, gowns. Yeah, yeah. That w- yeah, that would have been fun for yeah. sure. Um, I, there's a single specific shot in the movie that I hate. Um, after uh, Andy sleeps with Christian, and it, it, it we go to like the bed in the morning, and there's a shot of her foot, and she's wearing a toe ring. Yeah, that was weird. was weird. I that was weird. What too. a weird detail to include. It's one of those and details. Why? It's, like, it's it's the why that... would she be wearing a toe? She wasn't even wearing open toe shoes. Who would do that? Show that frame uh, from Twitter's uh, this episode written by the mildly disguised fetish or or this episode (laughs) brought to you by the mildly disguised fetish of the director or whatever. (laughs) Uh, There's a funny exchange um, in the book. Uh, Miranda um, at work one day asks Andy whose shoes she's wearing and Andy, in a moment of panic, misunderstands the question and replies, mine. Very good. I'm surprised that wasn't. I know. I was surprised that didn't make it in either. That seems like a very obvious thing to include. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned this in the prequel, but we do uh, see Anna Wintour in the book, um, famously rumored to be the inspiration for Miranda Priestley. Yes. Uh, Anna Wintour. And... I just want to say that if I were Anna Wintour, I would have appeared in the movie oh, just for shits and grins. Absolutely. And I'm a little disappointed that Anna Wintour was not petty enough yeah. to simply appear in this movie. I'm surprised. I, yeah, I, that's, I 100% would have, and it seems like the kind of thing she would do. But yeah. I, I would think so, but I guess not. Maybe yeah. they didn't invite her. Maybe they didn't want her. Maybe not. All right, let's find out what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. The movie makes a lot of cuts that I really appreciate. Um, There's a whole, like, big, long thing at the beginning where we watch Andy, like, pass out her resumes all over town and then she goes to Elias Clark and she has this whole conversation with an HR lady and I appreciate that the movie just goes straight to her interview with Emily and Miranda just jump right in in. we don't need the preamble yeah Uh, the scene right at the beginning where everyone is panicking as Miranda arrives at work is basically from the book um, except it's after Andy has been working there so she's like a part of the panic but i like that the movie moved it and had her be kind of like an audience stand-in in that moment of like like, what the fuck is happening like what is going on yeah Uh, but i also want to mention that there are a lot of little details in this scene that the movie nailed that are straight from the book Mm -hmm. uh like the the girl changing her shoes um nobody sharing an elevator with miranda like the girl's about to get on the elevator and she's like oh sorry miranda i'll take the other one one, um the like emily blunt's character spreading the magazines out on her desk um but one small thing about this that i did think was better in the book is that after all of that panic and fuss and everybody falling all over themselves miranda just turns right back around and leaves I will say, I think the movie just moves that to a different scene. The steak, Do they? The steak scene, kind of. It, it's similar. Yeah, as though that bit. happens in the book, too. Oh, does it? I don't oh, remember okay. if I remember. Well, I was just scrolling it, through to happen. see if you had that in movie nailed it, and I didn't see it, so that's okay. why I thought. Well, maybe. that does happen in the book. Okay. She, like, goes out of her way to get the steak meal for her, and then Miranda comes in and is like, like, I have lunch plans. Or yeah, yeah, you're stupid. I have lunch plans. Okay. Never mind, then. I thought, yeah, I, I okay. 
Um, you used this line as our intro, uh, but Nigel's line, um, are we doing a before and after piece that I don't know about? Yes. I think oh, wait, funny. was that Nigel? I thought that was Miranda. I was trying to find a Miranda I thought it line, was. But never mind. Maybe it is Nigel. I think it is Nigel. I think it is Nigel. I think you're right. Dang it. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in the book, uh, so Andy gets to, she does her interview with Miranda on like page 22 and then Miranda is out of the office for like her whole first month there. We don't interact with Miranda again until page 100 of the book. I know. Um, and I appreciate the movie's decision to not do that. (laughs) Seems kind of silly. I love Emily Blunt's line about a hideous skirt I, convention. I almost used that as the intro quote. I only <laughs> didn't because I thought I want. I was thought I was getting a Miranda quote, and then I didn't. Apparently, so I loved that line. Oh, we never really interact with the twins in the book, but I liked that the movie gave a little bit of interaction with him, and that they turn out to be kind of little shits. Oh yeah, they're little pranksters. Because I feel like they absolutely would of be. They would be, yeah. Um, also Emily's, um, when Andy is like, wish me luck and Emily says, no, shant. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I love that. And we used to say that all the time in college and I forgot that that's what that's (laughs) from. I also like the little scene where she's doing the twins homework in her apartment. Yes. The science project. Yeah. The science project. Uh, Miranda's line, um, she's talking about a piece that they're doing for the magazine, and she's like, uh, the piece on Supreme Court women. Woman. Yeah, it was good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I laughed a lot. A little pointed there. Yep. Um, Also, one of the more iconic lines from this movie that's not in the book at all, florals for spring, groundbreaking. Yeah, that's, I will say, I want to make clear, I... Um, cause I do love Miranda's character. Like I she's think she's a great an asshole. Character. Like I think she yeah. sucks, but I think she's, a, and I love, that's the moments that I love the most. The little snarky, sarcastic. She's got great, she's got great banter. Yes. Like I just, you can't, you can't, uh, can't undersell how good of a, ba- uh, how good she is at bants. I'll give her that. Um, and now, uh, a couple random bits from the book that I didn't care for. So initially before uh, Andy and Lily move in together in the book, Andy is like basically subletting a room from these other two girls um, whom she describes as two sweet and quiet Indian girls, utterly indistinguishable from each other. And I was like, cool racism. Somebody went to the JK Rowling school of writing minorities. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, um, so a, a little detail that we find Anthony out Anthony about... Goldstein, Ravenclaw, <laughs> Jew. <laughs> Sorry. Um, a little detail that we find out about her friend Lily. Uh, so Lily is a grad student in the book, and she is studying uh, Russian literature. And we find out, and he tells us, her eighth grade teacher told her that she looked like how he'd always pictured Lolita. And that apparently kicks off a Lily's lifelong love of Russian culture. And this goes basically uncommented on. I feel like that's at least maybe a little bit of like a... In term, well, that, that feels like commentary. Like, that, that seems like something... <laughs> 
Okay. I, I guess I get you say it goes uncommented upon, but I feel like the comment is the line itself, maybe. Uh, maybe. I, like, I feel like you would know that what that means. Like, maybe. I don't know. It just seems like. But also, like, what a weird detail. You could have chosen a lot of reasons that she likes Russian literature. Yeah. You chose the weirdest one. I, I, to me, that feels like a deeply personal thing that might have happened to the author that the author realizes is like deeply not good, not okay. Maybe. I hope. And is like putting it in there kind <laughs> I, of tongue in cheek. If that's something that actually happened, I hope she realized that it's not okay. <laughs> So there, there's also a scene where uh, she goes to Starbucks um, on her, like, Starbucks run for Miranda. And she tells us that every time she goes for Starbucks, she gets, like, a bunch of stuff and just charges it to the company card. There's a lot about how, like, the company doesn't really keep track of, like, they keep track of expenses, but they don't seem to really care yeah. about, like, each individual expense. Right. Um, so she expenses, like, a ton of things. She basically does a little bit of light embezzling yeah. while she works there, um, which, you know. Fine with me. Um, but there's this there's this whole thing about how she hands out coffee and pastries to homeless people to like dunk on uh, the company she works for. And I'm not saying that that's not a cool, good thing to do. Cause I think it is. Yeah. But I felt like it was something that the author added to make her character look better. Like that was the vibe that I got from that scene in the book. And it just came off as very like insincere to me in a way that felt a little icky. Okay. Um, and then there was a scene later that I felt similarly about uh, where she's talking about how she goes through all of Miranda's mail and Miranda will occasionally get like fan letters. Um, and she's like looking at this one letter that's from like this little girl, like, you know, like somewhere in the Midwest or something right. like that. Yeah. Who's like talking about how she wants to be a model and she just loves Miranda so much and she loves fashion and da 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 da. And the author is like, I held the letter from Anita in my hand and tears welled in my eyes. And I was like, shut up. They did not. <laughs> they did not. You're full of shit. You're full of shit right now, Lauren. I will say it sounds like they might have pulled that moment inspiration from that to add to Nigel's speech. Yeah. Yeah. Because he that, has that yeah. remark about how, you know, the the as a little gay boy and wherever he was from the Midwest. <laughs> I think he says the Midwest. I think he says like Ohio or something, yeah, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, and he, he he who had aspirations of, you know, leaving and yeah. going somewhere where he belonged or whatever, which I was my favorite part of his speech. And I think mm -hmm. the most sympathetic thing about like, again, it's one of those little moments that's peppered into a, other elements that I, like, morally disagree with. I was like, you know, that that is, like, a compelling thing. Like, that is yeah. really interesting. Like, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I agree. I like that part of his speech as well. Yeah. Um, there was just something about those little moments in the book that rang, like, like I said, like, insincere in a way that made me feel icky. Right. Reading yeah. it. That's fair. Totally fair. Let's find out what the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Uh, Miranda has a line 
Um, I think close to the beginning of the movie, or maybe she says it a couple times, uh, details of your incompetence do not interest me. Um, and she yeah. says she says that a bunch in the book. Uh, the moment in her interview where Miranda asks her if she reads Runway and Andy's just honest in that moment. She's like, no, I don't. Yep. That's also from the book. Pro tip. If you're interviewing, <laughs> always do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't lie in interviews. <laughs> Be honest. It's oh, I don't want to say it's not maybe not always the best advice, but it has always worked for me in interviews <laughs> is to just not lie about stuff like that. Yeah. But. A million girls would kill for that job is also a, a repeated refrain throughout the book. I was actually going to ask because they say that specific line, a million girls would kill for this job or whatever, like four or five times in the movie. Yeah. Like it's repeated quite often. Uh, Miranda calling Andy by Emily's name mm -hmm. repeatedly, also from the book. Uh, Miranda throwing her coat and bag on the desk uh, for, for Andy to hang up. Yep. Uh, Andy getting judged for eating soup in the in the cafeteria, also from the book. Uh, it's not by Nigel. Corn chowder. Um, but she, she does, in fact, get judged for eating soup. Uh, she also calls the other girls who work there the clackers. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a really brief scene of Andy trying to drive Miranda's convertible through the streets of new york city it's like in a montage i don't remember that it was it's a really really brief like little blip in a montage of her like struggling to do her job huh um but that is in fact from the book there is a scene where she's struggling to drive miranda's convertible and she can't really drive it because it's um a stick shift and she only like vaguely knows how to drive stick um and my last note here andy does get a runway makeover in the book, I am torn on the movie's depiction of the makeover. Um, I generally movie make movie makeovers, I think, are a bit problematic. Um, and and I acknowledge that that they're often like yeah positioned in a, very, in a in a problematic way. Definitely very superficial kind of yes. like uh, yeah. But I I also love a good movie makeover. <laughs> um, sure, no, it, you know you like, can acknowledge that it's you know not it's, like it's, the best it's message, not the best message, fun. but it's still fun. Yeah, and I think this one is interesting because I do think it's fairly benign. Like her appearance doesn't change that much. Yeah, the focus is more on clothes than it is on like oh we have to change your hair and yeah. pluck your eyebrows and uh, your blah 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 whatever insert movie makeover thing like as far as movie makeovers go it could have been a lot worse oh yeah but the movie also implies that dressing the part like immediately made her good at her job which i think is pretty <laughs> yeah, silly yeah she does like immediately switch yes. to like now i can and, like, do my I, job i guess you could argue that it made her more confident but i'm not sure that that comes through as strongly as the movie would like it to i think what the movie is trying to do there which is it, it fails out a little bit is because it, it we see like a montage of her with the new clothes and it's yeah. showing this passage i actually really like that montage it's really well done like she keeps no like, I, I love that montage She's like walking yeah. behind stuff and then like yeah. the outfit changes is cool but um the we're showing the passage of time and so i think it's meant to imply like she's just been there long enough that well, she's getting right better no, job, I, but it doesn't show us her doing better eventually yes but at the beginning of that scene like the first outfit that she's in when he initially makes her over yeah or correct me if i'm wrong she goes back upstairs and then is immediately like answering the phone with cool confidence and like oh maybe yeah yeah no i think you're right and there's yeah, like a, a little... marked difference yeah. in how she's doing that day which sure that could make you more confident but like 
I don't know. It is a it's little. It's kind of a weird implication. Yeah, it is a little weird. Yeah, for sure. All right, we got a handful of odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. I forgot that this movie opened uh, with something that is very 2006, which is a KT Turnstall song. I haven't thought about KT Turnstall in years. I don't know who that is. That's the, the, the girl who sings the, the song at the beginning of this movie. Okay. I didn't recognize the song, I don't think. Or maybe I was I did. A, she had like a couple hits um, like in that the mid-2000s. Uh, the, the Black Horse and Cherry Tree song. Do you remember that one? That played every. Maybe I would have to hear it. I don't I'll the play name it for you later. I'm not going to so. sing it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, there's a little moment at the beginning when it's like the opening credits and she's like getting ready for her interview. Andy is and we see these other women getting ready. And then we all we see. And I was I thought these were going to be people that like were either interviewing for yeah. the job she was. I kind or, of laughed when I saw your note. Like I chuckled a little I bit. I thought these people <laughs> no, were going to be like, relevant or something. They're not. Yeah. And they're just random people. But they're like, I, I, I just thought it was really interesting because they all obviously were, were striking the juxtaposition. They're all very fashionable and like, yes. you know, uh, creating, elite. creating that juxtaposition between what she does to prepare for yes. her day and what these other women are doing. Right. But they all like every one of them to a T like takes a taxi to work. And, and w I know we knew that Andy was going to work and she gets on the subway or whatever. It's I think. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what, Surely that's not a thing that most people in New York do every day, right? Like I would imagine I, I could be wrong about this, but I would imagine you'd have to be quite wealthy. Like you have to be a mm -hmm. pretty well to not that I mean uh, to take a taxi every day, I think you would have to have yeah. some amount of money to be able to do yeah, that. Yeah, which which obviously a lot of people who live in New York are doing very well. I just I don't know. I thought it was just like how many people actually take a taxi to work in the morning in New yeah. York? It can't be that many, right? Uh, yeah, I don't if know. If you're wealthy enough, you would take like a private car. Right. And if, if you were very not wealthy. that wealthy, you would take you would walk or you'd take the bus or you'd take the metro. Like, I don't yeah. know. Maybe, subway, or maybe, maybe I mean, maybe it depends on like where you're going or. Yeah. I don't know. Because it's one of those things like taxis. Like, yes, if you're going to a specific like a dinner or like like I'm sure plenty of people in New York take tax. And I don't know. I've never been to New York. <laughs> definitely have never lived in New York. So anybody who has maybe. But like, I know that obviously there are taxis everywhere, but I. I, I just assumed most people do not take taxis to work in the morning, I guess was my assumption. I mean, again, I would think so. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't actually know. <laughs> uh, there's this, another line that I wanted to talk about, um, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but there's a line where Andy is talking to Miranda, and she's like, look, I know I'm not perfect for this job. I know I'm not skinny. And it's Anne Hathaway saying this. And like I get that skinny in 2006 in the in and just in general in the fashion world or whatever – literally meant like you know anorexic size zero whatever yeah. like i understand that it seemed weird to me in the scene the reason i made a note about it not that anybody would think she wasn't skinny but that she would say that about herself in this context when she has no she's not like a part of this world or whatever like i totally get emily or miranda or anybody else commenting on her weight calling her overweight saying she's not skinny whatever that all totally makes sense to me i just thought it was a little weird 
that she comes in as like, look, I know I'm not skinny. It's like, but, and again, but only because, and I, and I'm not saying that there wouldn't be plenty of people that have that feeling about themselves in this time period. It's just, it, it seemed out of character for her to me. I don't know. It didn't seem like a thing she would think about and that she wouldn't consider her. Like, I don't, it just, I don't know. It specifically felt out of character for her character to me, but whatever. I mean, I, I would agree. I don't know why the movie would make that choice. I don't really have like a theory on that. Um, I don't know. It just felt a little out of character. Yeah. I mean, you kind of circumvented my other comment. Well, well, because I just, I don't think I expressed my, my, it was, it wasn't that again, I understand that, what skin I, like i just wanted to make clear i understand that in 2006 skinny men a very specific and yes. even you know like, i understand um that the, yeah the, the 2000s the, had a very yes. toxic obsession with extreme thinness this is not like news to me or anything i was uh, existed at the time i was aware of it even then I, I and i'm even more aware of it now it's not that i was like surprised that people thought like she's not skinny like that the again it's just it felt out of character to me for her to say that about herself just felt weird. Yeah, I don't know. That was that I was mean, my main. I, I don't know. Maybe in that moment, she's trying to like. She's trying. I get. Fit, yeah, I think you know. Fit in there or whatever. I don't know. I think you're trying to. I think you're right that she she is trying to like be like sort of self self deprecating in the sense of like. Like, I know I'm not your like exactly what you're looking for, and so one of the things that her mind jumps to because she knows, it's like I know I'm not skinny. I know I'm not blah blah yeah. blah. Um, again, it just felt a yeah. little out of character. And we, we kind of touched on the movie's um, treatment of like, you know, this kind of obsession with like thinness to the point of dying of malnutrition Yeah. Um, in the fashion world and in the aughts. And I, I think the movie is a tempting commentary, yeah, it's but rough. I don't. I, I'm not sure it works as well as the movie was maybe hoping it would. I would agree. That was the same vibe I got where it's like sometimes you can tell they're like doing commentary like, the, yeah. you know, the line about like, oh, I, I, I don't eat until I get so hungry that I, I feel like I'm going to faint. And then I have a cube of cheese or yeah. whatever. And it's like, yeah, but but then they like laugh about it and it, it's played in it for joke in a way that doesn't feel as serious as it should be like it it just doesn't yeah i would agree it doesn't feel like the movie is as critical of that as it kind of should be which isn't really surprising considering it's a hollywood movie from 2006 like you know it was it it was it was birthed from the darkness so it cannot (laughs) sense the darkness like it you know like it knows that there's (laughs) it knows that there's like something wrong with that culture but it can't go too hard on it because it is that culture you know what i mean like so it yeah, it, it definitely felt like it was trying to ride a line of like calling it out, but still like being fun about it. And yeah. like the fact that we're all dying of starvation. Like, uh, yeah, uh, the movie also really leans into and I touched on it a little bit earlier, like the great man in this instance, great woman slash like auteur theory mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, the, the idea that that great work, great things, great societies, great pieces of literature, great pieces of art, whatever it may be great magazines uh are are sort of the um the work of a, a, a single great person yeah it, it takes this singular vision this this singular person who has the vision the drive um the you know the um the unbreakable will to create this thing uh, and it is one of those things that i think societally and especially like um critically we've kind of 
moved on from mm-hmm. and realized that that's not that's that's not the framework we use for understanding creative output anymore. Um, we we kind of realize that that's this is not how anything works. Yeah. <laughs> like it just doesn't. There, like yes, you know, having very, a, a single very talented person can be very helpful, and they can create very you know interesting things. But it is not. Uh, it, the movie also the other element of it, apart from like you know a singular person being like the driving force behind a creative endeavor, um, is that it also excuses their bad behavior mm-hmm. and this movie definitely falls victim to that a little bit yeah. a little bit again yeah. it, it it plays both sides it, it definitely does acknowledge that she does suck but at the same time the kind of miranda gets her moment at the end where she's like look this is what you got to do this is everybody wants to be us and mm-hmm. who wouldn't want this blah 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 and while she isn't necessarily triumphant at the end she's not like not triumphant she's Kids her keeps her yeah. job. She walks in and and gets to keep doing her thing. Uh, Andy leaves, and you know, and and that that's upsetting to her. But she, um, she you know she gets to keep doing it. And and I think the movie does kind of play a little bit with that idea of like, yes, she sucks, but that's what it takes. No, I to, agree to create yeah. something great. And I think that's a again, I think that's a framework for understanding art that we've largely kind of moved on from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. The layers in Anne Hathaway's hair look so terrible before she gets her makeover <laughs> that I was wonder. There's one particular. I mean, it's intentional, there's yeah. one particular shot from behind where her hair is like visibly very different lengths. Yeah. That I was wondering, like, I'm curious if it was already cut into its final form at the beginning and they literally just didn't style it for the first part of they the movie. They also might have just thrown like extent like yeah, random that's like it. extensions. Yeah, that stuff, was my other I mean? thought like, that there might be like a random extension like on the way back of her head. Yeah. So it's hanging cuz there's one just one particular shot from behind where her hair is so choppy yeah. <laughs> like like there's one chunk that's sticking out like 5 inches longer than the rest of her hair. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned it, but all the performances in this movie—I mean, literally all of them—are fantastic. I oh thought yeah, everybody was yeah. really good. Mer- Meryl Streep is incredible, um, super layered and nuanced. Uh, Emily Blunt was great. Uh, Stanley Tucci's great. Uh, Anne Hathaway was really good. Uh, Anne Hathaway is probably like the least notable performance, I think, but she's still very good. Mm-hmm. Like, not again, not that it's not great or anything, but it's just. Compared to like, uh, I thought Emily Blunt and Meryl Streep specifically were both really, really good. But yeah, it was just very good, very good performances all around. I just want to call out uh, the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life, um, which was the orange poncho that <laughs> Nigel hands her at the beginning of the makeover scene. It's like this horrible orange furry thing. It is. It is t- truly the ugliest thing. No, and yeah. why would she? Yeah. Uh, but I do appreciate that the the costuming department took the opportunity to show the change of seasons mm-hmm. through her outfits. I thought that was fun. 
Yeah, no, I it, it does. It works really well. Yeah, I it, and as we mentioned in the prequel episode, this movie had maybe the largest uh, costume budget of any movie mm-hmm. ever, supposedly. So, I mean, it's about the fashion industry. They all got to be wearing couture. Absolutely. Uh, so we wanted to remind you, as always, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads. Uh, give us a like, a follow, subscribe, whatever, whatever you got to do there uh, to keep track, keep up with us, uh, and give us your feedback. Because we'll on the next prequel episode, we'll, we want to hear what you all had to say about the devil wears Prada. Also, if you can do us a favor, head over to iTunes or or, uh, Apple podcasts or Stitcher or anywhere you're listening to us where you can give us a rating and a review, drop us a five-star rating and write us a review. We would appreciate it a ton. And if you want to support us even more, you can head over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us for five bucks a month or more. You get access to bonus content. This month we talked about a portrait of a lady on fire, or I think it's just portrait of a lady on fire. Uh, is our bonus episode for April, which just came out the other day. Uh, and then we'll be doing every month. We put out another new bonus episode where we talk about something that's not necessarily an adaptation. It's kind of just whatever we want to talk about. And then at the $15 and up level a month, you get access to priority recommendations or priority patron requests, uh, where if you have something you would really love for us to talk about or hear us, what, what we think about it, recommend it to us on Patreon at the $15 level. We will add it as early as we can into our rotation. We're scheduled out pretty far, but we have holes here and there. We try to plug those recommendations in where we can. And this episode was a patron request from... Oh, this was a request from Kelly Napier. There you go. Thank you very much, Kelly Napier, for your recommendation of The Devil Wears Prada. Katie, let's see what you have to say for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. In this case, both the book and the movie are not without their flaws. They both lean into not-like-other-girls-ism. They both attempt commentary on the glamorization of unhealthy bodies in the fashion industry with wavering success, and they both stumble around with conveying a solid overall message with what ends up coming out at the end feeling a little mixed, again to varying degrees of success. The movie falls into the trap of auteur theory, uh, with its ultimate thesis on Miranda being, yeah, she's a horrible person, but she has to be in order to properly run the magazine. Uh, The book does manage to avoid that trap, I think. However, there were other problems with the book that the movie succeeded in patching up. For one, Meryl Streep's portrayal of Miranda is far more layered, nuanced, and interesting than what the book gives us, which is really just a cartoon tyrant who does nothing but issue ridiculous commands. The other, and in my opinion much larger, issue is that the book feels a lot more like someone bitching about a job that they used to have than it does a complete narrative. It falls especially flat towards the end, where the author seems to be writing, and then I lived happily ever after, and everyone hated Miranda, the end. It just felt a lot more like someone with an axe to grind than a story to tell. By giving the story a concrete third act that tied its various threads together, the movie avoided the flat, dragged-out denouement of the book. Like I said, neither of these are without their own issues. But for me, a more interesting villain and a more solidified third act are enough to give this one to the movie. There you go! The Devil Wears Prada goes to the film. Katie, what's next? 
Up next, we are covering a short story by Arthur C. Clarke called The Sentinel, and it's film adaptation, um, a little film that you might have heard of. Some people may have. Some people may have heard of this, um, called 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, confession, I, that's not a confession, I have seen it. <laughs> I saw this movie once when I was like 10, was like, this is the most boring movie I've ever watched, <laughs> and then have not seen it ever since then. <laughs> um, I have never seen it, and I am anticipating being bored, so... Yeah. I think I was a little older than 10, but I watched, I remember watching it as like a teenager and because obviously you're like, you know, I got to watch 2001. It's the most famous, one of the most famous sci-fi movies ever made. And I was like, what is this? I have a feeling I'm going to like it now, you but probably. As, a, as a teenager, I was like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> nothing is happening. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said, I have a feeling I'm going to enjoy it now, but yeah. That's going to be our next episode, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Come back in two weeks' time. We're talking about that. And in one week's time, we got your feedback on The Devil Wears Prada, and we'll be previewing 2001. Uh, so, yeah, uh, come back then. And until that time, guys, gals, on Binary Pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.